the Oasis Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. Philippians 4, verse 1-3, New Living Translation Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends. For you are my joy and the crown I receive from my work. Now I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help with these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the Book of Life. Morning all, morning everyone in the room downstairs, everyone in the room upstairs. I love the people upstairs, always good to see you, give us a wave. Um, And great to have everyone online, give us a wave from your home, I can see you now doing that. Um, If you're in Oasis Youth, I'm going to say at this point in time, you can leave the room to go and do something different. Um, So feel free to do that. You'll feel slightly awkward walking in front of everyone, but don't worry, no one's looking at you. Yes, they are. Um, But it's okay. If you want to stay in, you can stay in as well. But um, you guys are going to do some fun together. Um, It is good to get together and just look again at this wonderful book of Philippians. And we're going to get into it in a moment. Thank you, Zoe, so much for reading it so excellently, eloquently over us. There's many ways we describe who we are when we gather, but one of the words that we use often around Oasis is we say, we're seeking to build home together. That sometimes the word church can have so many different kind of connection points. And for some of us, we think, oh yeah, I know what church is. For others of us, we think building. For others of us, we think, well, I, I don't know what that means. And what we've said is, yep, we are church. And what we're doing as we come together as church, a word that helps us is We're seeking to build and be home together. A home where we belong. A home where we can be known. A home where we can be vulnerable. A home where we seek to draw others in. Because this home isn't one of our own making, but rather is founded on the wonder and beauty of who Jesus is. And one of the ways you can look at the wonder of the story of the Bible is actually a story of how God crafts the earth to be a home for us with him. And then we kind of mess it up. And so he comes as himself, as Jesus, in human form, to call us back to home with him, making a way for us to know home with him in order that we would know there's a promise that one day we will dwell on this planet that will be renewed by him, by his love, his goodness, his grace, his kindness, and cause everyone who centered their life on Jesus to know home forever with him here. And therefore, we get to be like an outpost of that home to come now, here, and now. A home that's founded on Jesus. And the reality is, when you live as home, that means that, yep, there's great benefits. Yep, it does us good. But sometimes it's challenging. Sometimes being home together means that we misunderstand. Sometimes we fall out. 
And what I want us to see today is that Paul recognizes this. Doesn't like hide it, doesn't ignore it, but rather calls it out because he knows that what we're meant to be together is wonderful, is beautiful. And he wants us to understand that because we're founded on Jesus, and as we're discovering week on week uh, through this series in Philippians, is that Jesus is enough, full stop, no and, nor but, no buts for you and for me, is that Jesus is enough when we fall out. And I want us to see that today. I want us to see that Jesus is enough, full stop, when we fall out. See, the reality is because we're humans, because we... Uh, Seek to interact with one another. Sometimes it's going to lead to misunderstanding. Sometimes it's going to lead to us falling out. And Paul kind of addresses this and says, hey, this is a reality that's going on in the church in Philippi. And he names two ladies, Euodia and Syntyche. And he names them because he wants to recognize there's a situation going on, a situation where two people have fallen out. And in our day and age, we can think, oh yeah, name and shame. Yeah, that's what you do. Get on X, I hear. Left that a long time ago when it was called something else. But you get on there and you, and you say, oh yeah, this person, cancelled. Name and shame. Now this isn't why Paul is writing at this point. Like, the way Paul writes is vastly different to the way that we communicate. See, when Paul is writing and naming these two ladies, it isn't to shame them. Rather, it is to recognize how he knows them. It's to recognize his friendship with them, his relationship with them. See, Paul, in his letters, never names his enemies. He often speaks about people who are against him, people who are against Jesus. He never names them. He just calls them enemies of the cross. And when he names someone, it's because he's wanting to show them value. He's wanting to show them his relationship with them. And he's wanting to show and express his love for them. And that's what he's doing here, that when he names these two ladies, he's expressing his warmth and friendship to them. He's recognizing that he has a history with them, as well as a future. He's recognizing that these two ladies are known within the church community of Philippi. That they're known because they're people of significance. They're leaders within the community. They're those that have played a part in the founding of the community. They're those that have been playing a part as it's been founded and those that are playing a part now. And Paul kind of names them and speaks to them and says, hey, like, there's something that's gone on here. And what's interesting is, he doesn't say What? Like our 21st century mind goes, yeah, what's going on? What's the deal? Why have they disagreed? Paul doesn't say about that because that's not what's important to him. He also doesn't say, oh, and I think you're right. He doesn't do that. He just he appeals to both of them. And he appeals to them not about what they're disagreeing on, but rather about why they are founded together. And calls them and says, hey, yep, you've fallen out but please draw back together. Because remember, you're meant to be building home. You're meant to be in unity together. See, Paul has this deep desire for this church community, for every church community to know that they are to live in the beauty and honor of unity. 
It's something that he's penned already in the letter. So if we were to read Philippians 2.2, it says this, then make me truly happy. That's Paul saying this, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Rich looked at this a number of weeks ago, didn't he? He did excellently. If you didn't listen to that talk, I'd say go and listen to it because it will do your heart good. Paul says, yeah, I want you to give yourselves as a group of people to seeking to be one, to be united. And he's saying that because at the very heart of us being one is it begins to capture the very heart of Jesus, who, when he prayed for us, who were to come, prayed that we would be one to reveal the wonder of the God who is Father, Son, and Spirit as one. Wow. I don't know how much time you spend thinking about that. I consider that lots. Wow, what, what an honor that a rag-band bunch of people like us, like me, get to reveal something of the beauty and the glory of who God is as one as this loving community of Father, Son, and Spirit. And Paul therefore says, like, don't allow fallouts to kind of continue. I want to appeal to you to be united, to be in love with one another, to be for one another. But remember, we don't do this in our own working. We do this because we understand that this comes out of this wonderful reality that Jesus is enough full stop to enable us to be united, to enable us to be one, to enable us to find recovery and restoration when we fall out. See, there is a beauty when we dwell together as one. Lucy reminded me of um, Psalm 133. Lucy's my wife, just in case you don't know that. At the beginning of this week, of just the, the wonder of how God longs to bless us as we dwell and live together in unity and harmony. So Psalm 133 says this, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in harmony. Whenever it says brothers, it's inclusive, brothers and sisters. For the harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. The psalmist is writing saying, living in unity as one in harmony does us good and others good. It's something that God longs to bless. That's why Jesus loves it. What's to be revealed through it? And therefore God is wanting to bless us as we live this way. Bless us in a way in these two pictures that are given, one of this kind of priestly anointing of Aaron, first priest recorded, anointed by God. And in this oil, it showed that he'd been set apart. And in the same way that as we live in unity, we know there's this blessing that's unique to us living in unity as a bunch of people founded on Jesus. It's unique to us but it's also setting us apart to be like priests together, to step in the gap between who God is and who humanity is. I say, here's God. But it also says that his blessing is like 
the Jew of Hermon going on the Mount of Zion. Now, Jew of Hermon was this heavy Jew that happened, causing fertile soil and fruitful plants. And it's saying like that happening on Mount Zion, which wasn't known for a heavy Jew. It was pretty dry land. Saying, yeah, as you dwell in this unity, there's this promise of blessing that, yes, is about a specific anointing to be priests, but it's also a blessing that's going to cause you to be like fertile ground that causes you to be fruitful. Man, that sounds good. I says, oh yeah, this blessing, it's, it's life forevermore. That's what you'll be blessed with because this unity isn't something that God's giving up on. It's something that God is increasing because it's the part and parcel of what it will look like in respect to eternal life. That eternal life is not about me and God, it's about us and God. And God's promise and plan is we will dwell together in unity as one with him. Therefore, this is very good. This is beautiful. Jesus is enough, and he longs to give us everything we need in order that we can live in the good of this blessing. But the reality is, we want to live in this, surely. Like, I, I don't want to kind of push this too hard, but like, I want to be part of a community where we feel like, oh yeah, man, we're here to bridge the gap between God and people. We're here to know this special blessing of God. We're here within that privilege to then have this responsibility of knowing that there's this kind of fertile ground that does us good and causes us to be fruitful, bringing others in that's going to last forever. Yeah, I want to be part of that. But sometimes it's complicated. Sometimes we do things that kind of cause one another to just get slightly disconnected. And if I was just to zoom in on what Paul says in verses 1 to 3, because I believe that we're going to see that there's some prevention that, God gives, that Paul wants us to live with, ensuring that we stay in unity. I want us to just take a moment to say, yep, there's stuff that happens. And then I want to finish by looking at yeah, there's a call to no restoration. That's where we're going to go. Prevention. Stuff happens. Restoration. Prevention. I think Paul is modeling to us that we don't just wait for stuff to go wrong to then deal with it, but rather that we are called to live in the wonder and beauty of who we are as one, in unity founded on the reality and wonder of Jesus being enough that causes us then to live differently, to live in a way that's seeking to prevent falling out. I'd say the first way we do that is by perspective. Paul lived with a perspective and caused the Philippians to live in that same perspective of how he saw them and every other believer. Firstly, it says that he loves them. Paul says, I love you, Philippians. Now that word love actually be more rightly translated as beloved. And what that's going to do is like send us like loads of other signals that we think, all right, right, why beloved? Well, because that word beloved was used of the father over the son was then used of God revealing his love for, the, for everyone who centers their life on Jesus. 
that when Paul says beloved, what he's calling into mind is how God loves every individual that makes up every church. And Paul's saying, yep, just as God loves you like that, I want to mirror God's love. Wow. Like that, that's how we're to see each other? That we love one another as God loves us. Man, that, that's a high call. Remember, Jesus is enough. He's longing to work with by his Holy Spirit to cause us to love this way. But not only is it a perspective in terms of how we love one another, it's also in respect to our shared destiny. Paul uses this like Hebrew way of thinking about eternal life by saying uh, to the two ladies, saying, yeah, remember, your names are in the book of life. Like that book of life is a way of saying, yep, it, this is eternal life. Like you're those that are now written in. You're, nothing's going to separate you from the love of God. You're there and you're going to dwell with God forever. Now as citizens of heaven, your home is with Jesus. And Jesus one day will come and reveal his home here. And you're going to be there. And Paul likewise causes us to live with that perspective. To know as we gather and meet others that we're remembering, as they too have centered their lives on Jesus, we are now sharing a destiny together. A destiny of being with Jesus forever together. Now for some of us, maybe that's like the pennies just dropped. We thought, I thought it was just me and Jesus. I thought, yep, I could just get my own little room and I'd just be me and Jesus and finally the world will make sense. That, I, I hate to break the illusion. That, that's not how it works. No, 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 it's never me, it's us. It's us and Jesus is longing to transform you and me in order that we understand that that is good news. Like, we're going to spend a long time together. Eternity. For some of you, you start to think, oh man, this is all taking like a slightly different tone. No, no, I want to see that this is good news. We get to set up now how we're going to live forever. Now, I tell you what, when we finally meet Jesus and he says he'll make us whole, suddenly all of the stuff that gets in the way, which we're going to look at, will be removed so it'll be a bit easier. But for now, Jesus is at work in you, is at work in me by the Holy Spirit in order that we'd know this is good news. We're going to be together forever. I'll convince you a bit longer. <laughs> so perspective, love. And shared destiny, I'd say, also along with perspective, there's power. Power to live in this. See, it's not down to us. See, Paul starts off in verse 1, therefore. Whenever you see a therefore, you always say, well, why is it therefore? Um, and it's therefore pointing to everything that Paul has just been saying in the previous three chapters. I've seen how you can live in the good of this is because the Holy Spirit is at work in you and at work in me causing us to understand that we can live in the good of all that Paul writes in Philippians 2.5, that we must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, that we get to have the power to have the same mind as Jesus, 
that how we get to live in the wonder of this unity, this oneness, is by understanding we are now those who are being guided, led by the Spirit to live humbly as Jesus did and are seeking to live for the benefit of others as Jesus did. That's what the Holy Spirit's longing to do in me. Like he's not longing for me to kind of continuously say, oh, what can I gain, what can I gain, what can I gain? No, no, the Holy Spirit is longing to live within me, guiding me to understand that whenever I'm in a setting, he's saying, come on, Adrian, how are we going to seek to benefit everyone else? And I want to give you the power to do it. Perspective, power, and then lastly, purpose. See, ultimately, we live, as Paul reminds the two ladies, to reveal the good news. That's what he does. He appeals to them and says, hey, why you need to get this stuff sorted is because of what? The good news that you've always lived with, always been revealing. <coughs> Just cough for a moment. Um, what's the good news? Jesus is enough, full stop. That's the good news. doesn't get any more complicated than that. It is the deepest news you could ever tell. Jesus is enough, full stop. That's the good news we get to share. It's the good news we get to live in. It's the good news we get to reveal. Therefore, when we see one another, I want to give us another way of seeing in terms of this purpose. Paul writes the Ephesians this in verse 7 of chapter 2. About his work in you and God's work in me. He says this, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Just read it again, just so it sinks in. God can point to you and to me in all future ages as examples of what? His incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus who is enough full stop. Adrian Hurst adds on. When we look at each other, do we see that wonderful image of the purpose that we're here to reveal that we are now trophies of God's grace and kindness? That's what we're here to reveal. And the thing is, if God was so puny, so meager, that the only way he could reveal that is in the frailty of a guy called Adrian Hurst, that would be rubbish. Oh, you want to see the fullness of God's grace and kindness? Oh, look at Adrian. Really? That? That's the fullness of it? Oh, no, no. No, you get to gather with others, and as you look around the room and start to realize, wow, God's grace and kindness is like this. And then you get to look through the ages and through the churches and realize that there's millions Millions, billions of people that are there revealing the wonder of God's grace and kindness throughout the ages. That's how we see one another. 
That's our purpose. It's to reveal this good news, and we do it by being together. The richness of it, the wonder of it, the splendor of it. Therefore, invited to be preventative in respect to us staying in unity. But the reality is, stuff happens. Stuff happens. See, communication is complex. When we speak to someone else, it involves what we say and don't say. Our facial expressions, our body languages, our tones of voice, our emotions, our past experiences, and the environment that we're speaking in. That's all going on, just as we simply speak to someone else. Then when that person is hearing us, it involves their interpretation of all that we've just said, along with their perspectives, beliefs, and experiences. Communication between humans is vastly complex. And as such, sometimes we miss each other. Sometimes we misunderstand one another. Sometimes we misinterpret one another. But not only is communication complex, also sometimes we just disagree. We see situations differently. We see practices differently. And sometimes we hurt one another. Sometimes we do it unintentionally. Sometimes we do it intentionally. And the reality is, this stuff happens because we're human. Because we're not yet as we're meant to be. We're not yet whole. We're not yet fully transformed in the likeness of Jesus. Therefore, this stuff happens. And the call that Paul is making, the appeal that Paul is making, because of the wonder of what Jesus has called us to, is to not live like we see the world. See, we live in a day and age where increasingly how you deal with stuff when stuff happens is you polarize and you cancel. That's it. That's the way we deal with it. Polarize and cancel. That's not the way with Jesus. It's not what Paul is calling these two ladies to. He says, no, the way is restoration. See, restoration is seeking to bring back in focus the wonder and beauty that we are one, that we're to be united. But the thing is, it's easy to say, but hard to walk in. See, what we need to understand is restoration is about God. See, Paul writes to the two ladies and says, you belong to God. It's the same for each of them, and it's the same for us. We each, in discovering Jesus enough, now belong to God. And because we belong to God, it means that God is more committed to you than you and I for us to be restored in our relationships with one another. Like, his benchmark of his commitment to our restoration was in the sending of his son, Jesus, to earth in order that all of us, through his death and resurrection, would be restored into relationship with God and being restored into who we're truly meant to be as human beings. God is deeply committed to our restoration between one another. And therefore, God is always at the heart of our restoration. 
is always longing to, to meet with us, to work with us when we find that stuff happens and we realize that, yep, I'm not quite right with this person. It's not simply down to us. God is longing to be at work within that situation. So it's about God. Secondly, it's about me and you because it isn't always about me. Often, it often is. Often I do upset people and have to apologize and work that through, but it's also about you. And when we look at this point, it's recognizing what is going on, why it's affecting me, and how is it making me feel. What, why, how. And as we begin to understand that, then we begin to able to take shape and say, okay, this is what's going on for me. And therefore, I can start to articulate this to others. But the first place I'm going to articulate to is God. Because I need to do that thing that we're called to do continuously, which is repent. I need to bring myself back in terms of God's heart for restoration. Therefore, in doing that, I need to come back to God and say, God, where's my heart wrong in this? And also, God, I want to commit myself to your way. Your way that is seeking to say, I want restoration here because I know the beauty of what it is to be in oneness, to be in unity. And I'd say also along with that is when we know there's stuff going on with someone else, as we're understanding the what, why, how, as we're beginning to live in that repentance of my own heart, is we also begin to believe the best of the other person. To remember that perspective stuff of remembering, oh yeah, this is who they are before God. I often, in those moments where I know my heart isn't quite right with someone, is I, I pray daily for blessing over them. Because as I do that, it begins to cause my heart to catch God's heart for them. So it's about God, it's about me. Thirdly, about others. I'd say in terms of restoration, it's about a moving towards the other. Paul appeals for this for both of these ladies. He says, move towards the other. Settle your disagreement. I say the moving towards the other involves apologies, involves forgiveness, involves seeking to understand. I think Brené Brown has taught me so much in terms of how do we seek to understand and the sentence I often use when I'm talking to someone when I know that things aren't quite right is I start by just saying, the story I'm telling myself is. Because as I start that way, what it does is it means that this is now going to be a conversation of seeking to understand one another, not seeking to draw the lines of saying who's wrong and who's right. Can I say, as well as moving towards others, I'd say it's also involving others. Paul does this. He kind of talks about this mystery person, the friend who's to draw alongside these two sisters. And Paul doesn't name them. I wonder if that's for a reason. I wonder if it's both because there is someone he's thinking of, but I also wonder if he's actually talking to the whole church, saying, hey, you know unity and oneness is important. Therefore, when you see moments like this where it's not quite happening... Don't just bury your head in the sand. Don't walk off. Move towards. Move towards, not to choose sides, but to say, hey, come on. Remember what we're called to? Let's seek to find a way for restoration here. 
And then fourthly, I'd say restoration involves walking the pathway. Restoration can sometimes happen in a moment. Sometimes it just happens through a process. And it's a commitment of understanding God, remember, is more committed than us for this process to work. And therefore, he will take the time that's needed to bring full restoration. And therefore, we need to keep choosing to walk in forgiveness. Keep choosing to build trust. Sometimes it means that we agree to disagree. I think that may be one of the ways we could be salt and light in the environment, the culture we live in at the moment. People have lost the art of disagreement. Disagreement means you're cancelled. No, no, I think we're going to be showing something different. We can disagree yet love one another, yet seek the best for one another, yet seek to be one together. Let's be those who seek to help one another to reconcile as we live this way. Therefore, to kind of land this, (coughs) Jesus is enough. That's it. Jesus is enough to cause us to keep being preventative, to ensure that we stay one, stay united. And Jesus is enough for us to be restored. And it may be today you're like thinking, oh, yep, yeah, I know the thing. I know the thing that happened that's just caused this relationship to not quite be what it is. And for us, God wants to tenderly meet with us and say, yep, come on, let's work together to see restoration here. Why? Because what we're about is something utterly beautiful. That is something that is not of this world, that this world cannot make. Is a bunch of people who are vastly different and yet can be one, united, seeking to love and honor one another. Therefore, today I'm going to finish by just praying praying for us, praying Psalm 133 over us, whether we're gathered in this room, whether we're online because we can't be here in this moment. I just want to pray this over us now. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. God, I just look to you and I pray, would you bless us like this as a church family? I pray that for every church expression through this city, the nation and the nations. But in this moment, I I pray it for us. And I pray, would we know that your heart is always one that's seeking to call us back to oneness and unity. And I pray, God, would you tenderly lead us in this? And I pray as you tenderly lead us in this, in our fragility, Would we know your blessing more and more as we live in the good of it? I ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen.